everyone, Cream Ray here. Today we have Mr. Fred Mathis, who is a MLS, USL Championship, and USL One professional soccer consultant. Uh, Mr. Fred, thank you for taking the time for joining us today. Sure, absolutely. Thanks, Kareem. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, can you just you know take us back in time and, and share how you got involved into the beautiful game? Um. Yeah. It- kind of starts a long time ago for me. I mean, I, I didn't probably start as young as kids start today. I started playing around 11 or 12 years old, uh, but I took to it right away. I was a little league kid because my dad was a baseball player, but this new sport soccer was coming up uh, back in the 70s. Uh, the old NASL was around, so I started to follow the old San Jose Earthquakes, and I started playing the game, and I got pretty good at it pretty fast. And so I took that as far as I could all the way up into college and played at UCLA uh, for a few years there. And the uh, former coach uh, Steve Gay, and then uh, the late Ziggy Schmidt was my coach for a year or two. And I loved it. I loved the sport. But unfortunately, as I got out of school and was ready to look at potentially playing professionally, or at least trying out somewhere and and trying to take it further, there was more league left. The NASL folded. Uh, There were some lower level leagues still around, but there really wasn't the opportunity to make money in the sport as a player. So I kind of went my own way and took some other jobs. And I ended up coming back here to Washington, D.C., area where I live now. And I, uh, I worked for the Washington Bullets. That's how long ago it was. It was an old NBA team, the NBA team. It's now the Wizards. But I worked for them for about seven years and, and really enjoyed it because it was professional sports. But my passion was still soccer. And I sort of followed it along and saw what was happening. I volunteered for the 94 World Cup. It was coming to the Washington, D.C. area. It was all over the country. It was going to be phenomenal. So I just volunteered, started networking. And I met some folks that were putting a team here in Washington, D.C., uh, as part of Major League Soccer, MLS. And that was the DC United group. Uh, Betty D'Angelo, late Betty D'Angelo, and Kevin Payne, they were starting it up. And to my fortune, they were putting the team right here in Herndon, Virginia. That's where our first offices were. So that was five minutes where I lived. And I said, this is fate. I've got I've to at least interview. So I took my experience from the NBA and I interviewed with them and they loved and brought me on board. And I spent 17 and a half years there, all the way up to about 2012 doing uh, mostly their ticket sales, building up their ticketing operations, uh, building out their sales force, really starting to help fill up the building, build the fan base for DC United back in those early days. We were fortunate to win a lot of championships. Uh, That always helped, but it didn't put the people in the seats by itself. And we had to constantly work at bringing new people in and building the base up and working with our supporters and working with the sponsors and really building it into kind of a decorated franchise in MLS, as, as it used to be called. Uh, not so strong these days, but they're getting back on track, I think, with Wayne Rooney at the helm. But anyway, that's really the bulk of where I was involved. But unfortunately, as everything happens in sports or in, in business, new ownership came in 2012, bought out the team, um, basically decided they were going to do it with their plan and with their people. Uh, and so I was moved on with a bunch of other people from the front office um, and we all had to find our way. And I ended up landing back out on the West Coast for years with Sacramento Republic, uh, which was a startup situation um, in a marketplace that had not seen soccer either for quite a while. And, uh, you know, kind of uh, we captured lightning in a bottle and uh, we, we were selling out an older stadium in town with about a thousand people a game, moved to a smaller stadium that was constructed that we helped to construct. Uh, there was only about 8,000 seats. So we had a, uh, a an over-demand and a small supply to work with, and it was a fantastic situation. We fortunately, just like DC United, we won the championship that first year, so that didn't hurt. And uh, we had a very successful run in Sacramento. 
Um, so that was the bulk of what I was doing on, at the administrative level. And I came back here to the Washington DC area and I, uh, I started getting phone calls from people all over the country in soccer. And they started asking me questions about, you know, what did you do out there in Sacramento to make it happen? You know, how were you able to work in DC for all those years and sell out all those games and work with international games and all these sort of things. And I started taking these calls and after probably about six or eight of those calls, I started realizing I could probably charge for this. You know, I could, I could use my expertise that I built up over those 20 years, 15, 16 years, and I could turn that into something of a business. So I did. I, built, I created my company, FM Soccer Consulting, Professional Soccer Consulting. And I started to connect with some of the same people that had called me back and other people that had referred me to other teams. And I caught on with quite a few teams to at least help them in their planning stages, whether that was getting started, whether that was trying to build them back up after they struggled a little bit. Um, and uh, I've had some pretty good success in that until the pandemic hit. And then all of us kind of got cast aside for a while. There anybody that was marketing or ticket sales and that. It was difficult to sell tickets when the buildings uh, were closed down there for about two years. Um, so I've had to pivot a little bit in the last couple of years, but I've enjoyed, you know, the opportunities uh, that have come about so far. You know, I've worked with clubs like New Mexico United. that's up there in the top of the attendance area. Uh, a team that's no longer with us, Fresno FC, uh, that has now moved over to Monterey, but they've started another another team, Central Valley Fuego, that's done very well at the USL level. I worked out in North Carolina with the North Carolina Courage, the women's team in the NWSL, that also won a championship. And then uh, uh, NCFC, which was the men's team that's uh, there that's done really well too, as well as a handful of other teams around the country too. So it's been a long career, all involved in soccer, and I've enjoyed it all along the way. Yeah, that's an amazing, strong uh, track record that you have. Uh, tons of knowledge and experience with saying that um, there's a lot that goes into selling tickets and that's, you know, tickets bring in revenue for teams. So why did you, you know, choose to specialize in tickets or did, did that, you know, career choose you or did you choose it? You know, I guess it sort of chose me, but I've always been involved in sales all the way back to, you know, retail sales when I was still in college selling athletic shoes. Uh, you know, people coming to you in a mall and you have to sell them on this company versus this company or this type of shoe versus that type and just work with them and work with the fan, with the customers, really. Uh, that translated very well to sports sales because your, fan, your customers are your fans. So if you have a, a somebody who comes in who's excited in the, the team that you're selling or the sport that you're selling, um, with soccer, it was much more the sport in the beginning. Nobody knew who DC United was. We had to tell them who DC United was and tell them about the sport of soccer and what makes it so fantastic around the world and why there's such a diehard following uh, no matter where you go in the world for teams all over the place. And we built that legacy up and built the fan bases up there. So ticket sales kind of, just as an outshoot out to reach from selling. Uh, and it, it seemed to work well for me. And then I moved up into the management levels. So then you're teaching other people how to sell as well, you know, and bringing in the staffs and working with them, uh, younger folks like yourselves that uh, are kind of green in terms of how to present themselves in front of other people. But, you know, you work with them and you get them comfortable at it. And the key is finding people that have the passion and the enthusiasm uh, that will want to do it every single day, you know, and the passion for soccer. Uh, I think that's what's really helped most of the clubs out there, whether it's ones that I've worked with or other clubs, that if they've got a passion for the sport of soccer, it's so much easier to sell the sport, sell the, the team that you're selling. You know, if you don't have that following to the game and you haven't been part of it, you don't quite understand it. There's perfectly plenty of good, successful salespeople out there that are selling soccer that never played the game. But there's a heck of a lot more that have played the game and are doing really well for themselves and they're enjoying it. 
Absolutely. So now in the position that you're in with your company, do clubs reach out to you now or do you, you know, um, reach out to clubs to work with them? It's a little of both. I mean, I think mostly because I've been around it so long and people know who I am. You know, I've got a pretty active LinkedIn uh, uh, and uh, social media presence on Twitter and my own Facebook and a little bit on Instagram. I mean, that's how you reached out to me was through LinkedIn. So yeah. obviously, I, I've noticed there. So a lot comes in through that. But I'll also just see things. I'll go on webinars or I'll meet up with other people. And I say, oh, do you hear about this team that's trying to start up in X community, wherever it is? Um, I just saw the other day, Jacksonville is now the name at USL. So I knew about that project probably about a year and a half ago. And I've talked to some of those folks there already. Um, but you hear about these things, you know, just off the cuff. Because everybody, as you know, you've been around the game not even that long. But you still know that. If you're in soccer, it's a very small world. Everybody knows somebody who knows somebody else. So you hear those sorts of things and, and just that word of mouth, people will mention my name. Hey, if you're trying to build a, a ticket sales staff or a marketing program, why don't you talk to Fred Mathis? He's been doing it for a lot of years. I know he's consulting now. So I'll get a phone call or a, a text or a LinkedIn message out of the blue sometimes and I'll end up you know following up on that. And that turns into a, a contract and you know I end up working together with some of those teams. Sometimes it's just a phone call. They want to pick my brain as the as the saying goes, and I'll always do that. I'm always open for phone calls just to find out. And sometimes there's there's not something I can really do to help them yet until they get a little further down the road and get started with stuff. Um, other times, you know, they're on their way and they're fine. And really, I could help them and you know with their services. And sometimes I do. And other times, you know, we, we still have conversations and keep in touch uh, so that uh, if other things come up along the way, then I'll be able to jump in and, and help them again. Thanks again, Fred. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Um, would you say you have it to a blueprint now um, in regards to, you know, the hiring process, the blueprint to it doesn't matter what market we're going into, we're able to sell tickets. Do you have it down to a T, would you say? You know, you never have anything down to a T, no matter whether you're playing on the field or whether you're working in a front office, you know, and, and it's never cookie cutter, you know, uh, how you sell tickets in the Washington, D.C. area is different than how we sold them in Sacramento and how you would sell them in either of those markets may be different than, say, Omaha, Nebraska, where 15 years ago when you would have said, oh, yeah, someday they'll be playing soccer in Omaha, Nebraska, everybody would have scoffed. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe at the college at Creighton University, but they're never going to have a pro team there. Well, their team does really well, you know. Union Omaha has been a great team there, settled in the USL and doing well. So no matter where around the country, and I think that's probably why I'm still involved in it this far along, is that I love seeing new stories like that, new areas that have not experienced the sport at the level that uh, some of the areas in this country have and certainly have around the world to bring the game to them, you know, and the best way is to, to have a team there that they can follow and buy tickets to and be part of it. So. You know, it's, uh, again, I don't never have it to a T. I find out something every time I talk to somebody from a different market, like, well, we've got this issue going on. We're thinking about approaching it this way. You know, a couple of great examples are in Vermont. Vermont Green just opened up this past year. Well, I had had some conversations with other people up in the same marketplace, and they were just starting, and they weren't sure where they were going to take it. And I think what they've done with that club is, is phenomenal. If you follow it, um, they're really going after an environmental theme. Uh, it makes sense. Vermont is a very, it's the green state. The green mountains are there. It has a lot of smaller companies that are very environmentally based. Well, their team is the same way. They're going to go after a lot of causes that, that uh, give back to the environment and are, are based in the environment. Tremendous way to market a soccer, a soccer club. So, you know, that's something that's kind of neat to see is things like that. 
I just started talking with Annapolis, Annapolis Blues that start, are going to be starting up next year in the NPSL. And a good friend, Michael Hitchcock, is a investor in the club. And he and I have reached out to each other and, and started talking about that. And it's for me, it's fairly close, about an hour or so away. Uh, so it's going to be fun to kind of help him along in the process. And, you know, I'm not sure whether I'll be part of that club directly or whether I'll be a consultant to them or how it'll work out. But it's still neat to see he's doing it around uh, the theme of the crap the blue crabs, which are known to Maryland in this area. The Chesapeake Bay is a very big part of the entire state of Maryland and kind of conserving that. So again, another environmental type of theme, as well as uh, playing in the city of Annapolis, which has a lot of historic background to it, not only in US history, but also in soccer, You know, having the 84 Olympics group qualifiers played there, having international games with the men and women's teams played there before. Uh, US Naval Academy has had a very strong soccer program for a lot of years. You know, so it's it's a great area that's once it's been untouched, but it's uh, one that hasn't been played in a lot of late. So it's it's nice to have that and close to the nation's capital here, where DC United has got such a stronghold. I think there'll be some fans that'll you know check that out as well too. Yeah, it's perfect timing in regards to the environmental theme, and it's something I've I've just heard for the first time. So thank you for sharing. And mm -hmm. um, you know, can you just give us an, share another example of you mentioned selling tickets, um, for example, for DC United is completely different from selling tickets for another club. Can you just give us another example of how it would be different? Yeah, I mean, in those early days of DC United, it was very much grassroots. We had to go out and sell, like I said before, not just the team, DC United, people didn't know who that was, but the sport of soccer. And obviously, the youth soccer market has been huge all over the country, particularly here in Northern Virginia, where we were based, and in Maryland and D.C., it was starting to really, really grow and take off back in the, the 70s into the 80s. And here we were in the mid-90s now. We just took advantage of the structure that was there. So we did an awful lot of grassroots building. We went out to soccer fields. We took the entire front office, not just the salespeople. The entire front office would be handed a stack of flyers. This is long before the, the internet really had kicked in and you had email around as, as prevalent as it is now. We would take a stack of flyers and just hand them out to everybody on staff, give them two or three fields that were near where they lived and said, go on out this weekend and talk to as many parents as you can on the sidelines. Talk to the coaches if you can. Hand out some flyers, talk the game, talk what DC United is going to be doing, when we're going to be playing in the spring through the, the fall of, of the following year or the years after that as we did it. And we really built from the youth soccer standpoint first. And then we found that through youth soccer, we started to meet a lot of these people that were coaching on the sidelines or that were parents on the sidelines that knew the sport. You know, some of them had played it when they were younger, but most of them didn't know the sport other than their kids played it, but they had a passion for it. And you find out that their VPs and directors and maybe even owners of businesses in the area. So now we started talking about their, their companies coming out to games and building a corporate strategy. And starting to follow that. So from the youth soccer grassroots that we did, we built into this corporate strategy. And that started to help us in the other areas. And the other side of it was our fan base. You know, we had these two supporters clubs, Fata Brava and Screen Eagles, that started up almost simultaneously in, in that first year, before that first year, to build. Um, Screen Eagles built out of the Sam's Army, what we used to be called, now it's American Outlaws, sort of U.S. national team followers. They built their base from there, very much an anglicized sort of, supporters club, you know, singing and chanting and, you know, the same as what you would see in England or, or overseas in Europe. Uh, and then we had another club, uh, Barra Brava's uh, supporters group, Barra Brava, that was based uh, from a Bolivian uh, guy who moved up this way, Oscar Zambrana, who knew Marco Echeverri and Jaime Moreno. 
And so he got a lot of his Bolivian friends together and they really started this bada, very much like we would see in Central or South America, bouncing, dancing, you know, drums, singing the whole time. They started up next to each other. We built from that and from both of those fan bases, we built into the Latino base, we built into the European uh, followers that followed other European clubs and things like that. So we took sort of those models and built them. Other markets that I've seen do that very well, you take a look at what Seattle has done. Huge, huge following all through the area of Seattle and that following sport, Portland, the Timbers Army. They built that out and really built the sport into the fabric. And then you fast forward to today where you've got Atlanta United drawing 60, 70,000 people. Charlotte now is a new, new club that's come up drawing 40, 50,000 a game. Uh, just phenomenal, you know, the, the growth that you've seen from that. And a lot of it started very similar to what we did back in D.C., but because the sport now has moved on so much further that you can just basically pop a team into a market and you've already got sort of a, a base that's there. You just have to tell them about it. You have to give them the right value. And you have to, now winning is coming to a lot more too. You've got to have a winning product on the field to draw them in. Um, so the marketing overall, yeah, to some extent, it's the same in each of the areas. We just sell them as sport of soccer, but each team has its own unique approach to it. You know, um, you know so that's, that's one of the things. The other thing that's changed a lot over the years has been the advent of the soccer-specific stadium. That no longer are many clubs sharing. And I can give up some bad examples. Seattle and Atlanta and Charlotte, they're all playing NFL stadiums. But other than that, you've got 16 or 17, I think it is now, soccer-specific stadiums around the country. That started back in 1999 with Columbus Crew, with Lamar Hunt. Uh, late Lamar Hunt, <clears throat> fantastic innovator in the sport of soccer. And building a stadium that was just for soccer. Uh, the crew have built that up, and now they've got their own stadium again uh, as a rebuild after that old original stadium. But you've got stadiums that are just built for soccer all over the country now. Uh, and now the first women's team, Kansas City Current, uh, have decided to build their own women's soccer stadium. So one of the first ones in the country that will be specific just to their marketplace and their fan base. Uh, so kind of neat in, in how the sport has evolved. And as I said before, it's never cookie cutter. You can't just plop something down and just say, yeah, do what DC did. It'd be great. You've got to kind of adapt it to your market and you've got to build around you know, your fan base and what they know and, you know, who is going to support the sport. But, you you know, it all comes down to relationships. And they start one-on-one, -on -one, face to face, just as we're talking now. Even better if we're in person, but, you know, a chance to kind of sell the sport to somebody else that has the same passion. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, that's why I love doing these podcasts. I would assume before that it was cookie cutter, but now having this conversation and, and learning that it's it's not, and it's such a unique um, process and, and very engaging and interesting um, to some of the points that you, you brought. I think one of the most interesting to me that popped up was, um, I think it was the Mexicans that you men mentioned with the, the dancing and the music, integrating into there and then expanding out was was pretty interesting I, I had some familiar familiarity with the grassroots that that you know clicked with me right away i've played for 17 years from mm -hmm. grassroots to semi-pro highest i've reached um you know i was going to ask in regards to things being more digital now 2022 and having access to google ads more data youtube instagram um, are these systems that you use yourself and um, have you seen things accelerate with these tools? Um, it absolutely has accelerated. Unfortunately, I think it's also taken a little bit of the human element out of it. You know, as I said before, you know, we had our front office staff used to go field by field and walk around and talk to parents in the literature, talk to coaches, talk to kids, you know, and sell the sport face to face a lot of times. 
that's kind of lacking these days because it is so much easier just to blast out a couple thousand emails or set up a Zoom cast or something like that, sell the product that way, you know, but it's the way things are, have gone, you know, and I was part of that in that, um, particularly as we started bringing technology into ticketing, Ticketmaster was one of the first that really went into digital ticketing and barcodes and ways to be able to email tickets to people uh, instead of the hard tickets that we used to do in the early days. Um, in fact, I remember some of the, the first time that we brought it out, that I brought it up, hey, we can email our tickets to people now. People are like, uh, yeah, but what if they don't get the email? Or what if they, uh, they, they can't pull the barcode up on their phone or they can't print the barcode out? You know, all these things would go to people's minds. And my answer to that always was, and back at that time, you used to buy plane tickets online all the time. People would go online, buy their plane ticket, and walk up to the airport, show their printed ticket, go, yeah, here's my ticket. You, know, you didn't have to go to the airport to buy a ticket to fly somewhere. And that was a three, $400 expense. Well, why wouldn't you do that with a $20 or $30 soccer ticket? Why can't you do the same thing? There's a lot more people flying every single day than there are buying soccer tickets. So certainly we can figure it out. Yeah. So we started to kind of bridge that, that hesitancy that people had. That, you know, something about a sports ticket that it used to be anyway, a piece of paper that had a, a game time and a location and the, the seat number and all that that made it real for some way, more so than a barcode did or a digital code on a phone or a QR code or whatever, you know, type of system we're using now has. So that was hard. And that was hard even right up until the pandemic. I think the pandemic in some ways kind of helped push that along further. I was down in North Carolina, North Carolina FC and the Courage. Uh, they both played together at Wake Med Park at the same uh, facility. And I went in there and I said, well, we're going to, we'd like to go to Ticketmaster. And they said, sure, that's okay. They're a big company. We'll go with them. So, but they want us to do all digital ticketing. And the pushback that we had was phenomenal, particularly about the, with the older clientele that weren't quite used to using their phone for everything yet, or weren't quite used to you know, looking at something digitally and figuring out where their tickets were going to be in that. But we just took it on as an education project. And I had some great people there that were very intelligent and smart. We could talk to people about it. We set up booths at the front gate for everybody that came up if they were having difficulty. And the funniest thing was sometimes you'd have some parents that would come up and they've got it on their phone and they can't quite figure out how to do it and they're showing it off like that and they might have their son or daughter with them that's you know 11 12 years old they're like mom give me the phone here you know they just punch, there you go that's it you're right there you go there's the gate go on in enjoy yourself you know so it was like the newer generation no problem not at all you know they can figure it out the older generation was a little slower to catch on i think we see that in all technology um, but like i said the pandemic kind of accelerated that pace because now, all of a sudden, you have to use digital means, you know, whether you want to order fast food and bring it to your house, whether you want to go make a reservation for someplace to go, or whether you want to buy a concert ticket or you want to buy a soccer ticket or a sports ticket, it's all online. It's all digital now. Um, but this is only a few years ago. This was 2018, 2019, when we were pushing go all digital, 100%, no backup, no hard tickets. We still had to make some exceptions for larger groups and older people who couldn't figure it out would stop to bring out some tickets. But... We certainly cut down on the time process and cut down on the, the labor of having to print out those tickets all the time. You know, you kind of miss it. You kind of have like to have those souvenirs of those old tickets and that, that a lot of people save them and always wanted copies. But, you know, it's a digital world now. So we switched over to that. Yeah. Quick question. Did you do you do you miss the way things were or are you enjoying the transition into the new world? You know, you always miss something that was comfortable, something that you like. 
Um, and, and like I said, the souvenir value of some of those tickets. I still have some ticket stubs around from MLS Cups and games I went to as a kid, old San Jose Earthquakes games or NESL ones. Now you can look on eBay and you can buy those actual tickets for 10 times what the game ticket was actually cost, you know, that sort of thing. So you miss a little of that, but it's inevitable the way it's going to advance. And I think the ease and the convenience of having it now, had we had some of those things back in the earlier days of things, you know, how much easier is it now when you've got, say, a large youth soccer club, 3,000 families that are part of a large club, and you've got to get the word out to them about a new game, a game that's coming up or a game change or, or a time change or something like that, to just jump on, boom, put it on the website, put it on social media, put it out on email to everybody, da, 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 all your stuff has changed. Not only that, but now you don't have tickets floating out there that have a set time, date, things like that. You may have had to change that over. Instantly, you change that digitally. They look at their ticket again. It used to say August 31st on it. Now it says September 3rd. Boom, here's the time. They've got the information. So much easier these days. I, I think that in some ways, a lot of the, 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 and I hate to use this term, I sound like the old guy on my lawn, but the younger generation doesn't appreciate all that had to be gone through to, to get to this point. Now, how much easier it is just to decide, hey, what are we going to do Saturday night? Let's go to a soccer game. Boom, got tickets. Yeah, there's a lot more to it behind the behind the scenes in years past. Very true. Very true. So it's it's things are moving so rapidly fast now. It's it's uh, it's impressive and kind of crazy, but uh, pretty cool. Yeah. Um, with saying that, can you mention some of um, your partnerships that you have in place? And I wanted to ask as well: Is do you work closely with Ticketmaster, or is it just a platform that you? Use? Um, Ticketmaster has been the primary platform I've always worked with. I don't have any affiliation to them. I just like the way their products have been set up in the past. They were one of the first ones that developed a CRM or a customer relationship management tool, which was called Arctix. Uh, they took the old digital screen that used to work from, or not digital, but the DOS screen, they called it. It's like a blue screen. It's like something you'd see at your doctor's office now. It has just numbers and charts and stuff on it um, to something that was more Windows-based. And you could keep all your customers on file there. And that really worked well and really made the transition to the digital age much, much easier uh, over the last five to 10 years or so that they've had that product out there. Um, but so that's on the on that side, I've worked with them, but I've worked with other ticketing companies now too. All of them have some sort of it. The nice thing with Ticketmaster is they're, they're you know, prevalent everywhere. You know, when you put, get a team to go to Ticketmaster, their club logo, their sports, their names, their events all show right up on the same page as maybe the NBA or NFL team or uh, other teams that are in their same market, NHL teams and that too. Um, so they get on equal footing from soccer to football and other sports. So that's a big plus to Ticketmaster. Um, some of the other companies that I've started to work with that are in the digital age now, a company called fansaves.com that I've just started doing some things with. Exciting in that it's a digital way to bring couponing and fan affiliation to the masses out there. If your team is looking to promote some event that they do, and maybe they have a local pizza place that is a league sponsor, a team sponsor rather, they want to get that word out there, this new company fan saves as a digital way to get couponing in everybody's hands right away. Um, so you're using that team affiliation to tie to that. Uh, another one too, we were talking about new technologies coming out called One Plan and Venue Twin, they're sort of a paired company they're using a digital way to create the event space for soccer matches and other events and that too. But soccer is one of their primary focus focuses right now. Focus on right now. Um, they also have something called Venue Twin, where they can take an entire venue that may not even be built yet and recreate it digitally, 
so that you can see what it's going to look like before you even get there, before it's even built. Um, a tremendous tool. They're going to be part of the uh, Paris Olympics coming up in 2024. Uh, I think they're working towards becoming part of the FIFA World Cup in 2026, too, when it comes back here to the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Um, they have taken it to the next step. So not only will you be able to buy your tickets to the, digitally, you'll be able to see actually where you're going to sit and what it's going to look like to get to your seat in that building. If you're a sponsor and you're buying signage and that, what it'll look like in the stadium before it's even built up. You know, if you have a suite, if you're nice and lucky enough to have one of these nice suites, it's going to be built in. You can see what your suite's going to look like and how you might be able to furnish it, change it around to look like your company and that if you buy one of those. So some of those things I'm starting to do some work with. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. Sorry, what was the, the company name? That company's called One Plan. One Plan, okay. And they're, and they're digital side of that, or not, it's all digital. One Plan is more just event planning. It's on a 2D level. The 3D level is called Venue Twin. Um, based in Europe, uh, in, in England, uh, the founder that's there started it up. Uh, same sort of thing. I saw them on a webinar one time. It was intriguing. Uh, they've done some stuff in this country with like the LA Clippers and a few other NBA and NHL teams with indoor arenas. Um, and they're starting to get more involved in soccer too. So we started talking to them. Uh, the fan saves, the, the digital app, everybody has everything on an app now and they try and force you that way. So fansaves.com that I mentioned, starting to get some inroads there working with USL soccer now on a league level. Uh, and they've started to add some teams. They just added the Richmond Kickers, which is probably the longest running a professional soccer club in the country at the higher levels, meaning Division One or Division Two. The kickers have been around for 30 years. They're celebrating their 30th anniversary this year. Uh, a storied club there. They won. They were the team that won the U.S. Open Cup just before MLS came around. So 1995, they won the Open Cup way back then, um, which is kind of ironic that this week, actually, Sacramento has a chance to kind of be one of the first teams to ever beat the NMLS team, Sacramento's playing that Orlando this next week for the U.S. Open Cup title. Sacramento's a club that I used to work with, so a little extra push for them, too, right now. Uh, they would be only the second team in, in history since MLS has been around to have to won a cup if they were able to do so. Rochester was the last one that did it. Rochester Rhinos did it back in 99 uh, against Colorado, I believe. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of history that's out there to it. Clubs, other clubs I've worked with, I mentioned uh, New Mexico United, I mentioned Fresno FC, which is now kind of morphed into something else. Uh, locally here, I've worked with the Northern Virginia Club uh, in the uh, NPSL. I also worked with the Virginia Beach Club further south from here. I worked with the two clubs in North Carolina, North Carolina FC on the men's side, North Carolina Courage uh, on the women's side. Uh, they, as I mentioned, won a championship back to back. So cut rings from all of those clubs, which is nice. Um, you know, it's a nice little side perk of working for a professional team. I certainly didn't help them on the field as much, but off the field, you know, part of it, that's all part of it. And, and the one thing I have to say is that anytime you're working with an organization, helping them build up something, the team aspect comes into play no matter what part of the organization you're in, whether you're the center forward on the club, down on the pitch, or whether you're the front office, the receptionist that's answering the phones as people come in. Everybody's on the same team, and that's the nice part about it, that everybody or all of the championships teams that I've been a part of have recognized everybody that way. You know, they've given them the, the, the rings or the, the trinkets. I've got five rings and one watch. So I've got six different ones from the clubs that I've been part of. Um, and it's nice. It's nice that the, the organization and the, 
the, the higher ups see that they see that of all their employees all the way through in the right way. Uh, if you're working with a club that's not thinking of you in that way, maybe either you should help to change it, the culture, or look for another culture that might you know appreciate you a little bit more that way. So that's amazing. Um, with saying that, I do apologize about the time up top. It's Zoom trying to kick us out. I don't have a plan with them. <laughs> it's okay. I see it. Yeah. It's like it's a countdown here. You got four minutes, right? Yeah, we got four minutes to crush out. Um, was there anything that I missed or that you wanted to add in? Um, no, I think I've taken most of your time. I've talked. You haven't been able to ask me enough questions, but that's okay. Yeah. I'm, um, I wanted to ask you one more, but I guess we'll just dive into the fun questions and I'll ask you on Google Meet if we could meet after for, the, for a quick five minutes. Absolutely. Sounds good. Right. Um, okay. So the five fun questions. What's your favorite sports team or favorite sport to watch? Uh, soccer, obviously. Favorite team? Uh, I guess it's probably got to be DC United because that's who I spent the most time with. But I think Sacramento Republic gets a little bit of a nod now too. Yeah. 17 years is a long time. Who's your favorite player? Uh, you know, I'm a, I was a goalkeeper. So I followed a lot of the goalkeepers up through the years. Uh, you know, the uh, Casey Keller, uh, Tim Howard, you know, what they did with the national team, phenomenal. Nick Romando is a good friend. He's a former UCLA Bruin. Got a lot of UCLA Bruin goalkeepers that I've stayed in touch with over the years. You know, Kevin Hartman, Matt Reese, Brad Friedel, uh, you know, uh, a lot of different folks that have played there over the years. David Van Oly, late David Van Oly was a teammate of mine. Uh, Tim Harris was a teammate of mine back, way back in the day too. Uh, you know, those are those are some of my favorite players, I guess, the fellow goalkeepers. What's your favorite food? Um, a nice tri-tip Santa Maria style. And the last one, favorite artist uh, musically? I'm a big Jimmy Buffett fan. Obviously, my tiki bar behind might give that away some uh, right now. Uh, but I got a lot of vinyl in my basement I haven't heard for years. Growing up in California, I was a, a Beach Boys fan and uh, uh, bands like Journey and uh, Pablo Cruz I followed a lot of too. Nice. Well, Fred, before we go, I want to thank you for taking the time uh, to join us on the One Soccer Nation podcast today. So, absolutely, Kareem. I appreciate it. I love what you've been doing. You know, as we said before, you reached out to me on LinkedIn. That's how it starts. You get a conversation going. I hope we have a lot more conversations, whether they're on Zoom or not in the future. And I get a chance to meet you in person. And uh, good luck with everything you've been doing and keeping up. And, uh, you know, uh, again, it was fun. A lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you.